Amen. Our Savior lives. Grateful for that. Good to be with you this morning. How we doing, Epiphany? Come on. Happy Easter to everybody. He has risen. Uh, and the proper response to that, I don't know if you know the traditional response to someone saying he has risen, but the traditional response is when they say he has risen, you say back, he has risen indeed. Anybody know that's the proper response? Let us practice it. I'm going to say he has risen. You just respond back. He has risen. He has risen Let's try that one more time a little, little bit louder like he really did rise from the dead. He has risen. He has risen Can we thank God that the grave could not hold our king down? Come on, let's thank God for that. Amen. What a beautiful morning the Lord has, has given us this morning. I'm excited to be here with you. We celebrated the death of Christ on, uh, on Friday down in Philadelphia. A few of us jumped on the turnpike and headed down south to Philadelphia to be uh, with our, our mother church, our sending church, in a joint service where we uh, really walked through the seven last sayings, the seven last words of Jesus Christ as he was preparing to take on the full weight of the wrath of God to bear our sins. And uh, I'm excited that we got to do that, but I'm equally as excited this morning that we get to celebrate together, not just the death of Christ, but the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, that is exactly what Easter is. But I mean, let, if you've been here for any amount of time, we push the Easter message as a priority every single week. This week, we just get to highlight it. I mean, we do that because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you don't have to turn there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that this message that I delivered to you is of first importance. And so the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important message. And thank God that we have a Savior that uh, not even death could hold him to the, to the grave. Why don't you guys go ahead and grab those Bibles on this Easter morning and, and meet me or your phones, whatever you have. Meet me in Luke chapter 24 is where we'll spend our time today. Luke 24, um, we're taking a quick break from our, our First Peter series. Our first, we've been going through the entire book of First Peter, all five chapters we've been going through. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break and a quick detour to talk about the work of Jesus Christ that he provided on the cross uh, and when he rose. This is what we'll do. It's going to be a little different this morning, particularly because there's 49 verses that I really want to get through in Luke. And so instead of me just reading it and then praying, let me pray now, um, announce our theme, and then we'll start walking through the text. Let us look to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for the empty tomb. We rejoice because we do realize that if Jesus Christ got up, then we too will rise again. Romans 8.11 says, if, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised him from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. And so, Father, today we thank you for conquering sin and death. And because you conquered sin and death, we now have access to you, not for a season, not for a, even a lifetime, but for eternity. And we thank you, oh God, for that. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Everybody say amen. I literally want to title the message today, The Resurrection. Uh, the Resurrection. I used to live next to the largest cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Greenwood Cemetery. It sits in Park Slope. The largest cemetery, one of the largest cemeteries here in Brooklyn. And when I used to live next to it, I used to have conversations with one of the young men from this church by the name of Brian. He used to tell me how beautiful the cemetery was. Now, I never just visited cemeteries. That just wasn't my thing to hang around a bunch of dead bodies. Uh, but he often went there. His artsy side said that it was a beautiful place to go and just to visit. And so I decided one day I was going to have lunch with him at Greenwood Cemetery Park. Uh, th that is not typically a place that I would go and have lunch. Uh, it's definitely not a place that I would go and choose to disciple anybody. It's not a place that I would want to just hang out and sit around on the benches and look at the tombstones, but he was right. I took a risk. I said, I'm going to try it. And he was right. It was a beautiful place to visit. Uh, and looking at the beautiful mausoleums and reading the inscriptions on the tombstones of how people lived and why they died and what they died of was uh, very encouraging for me to see. Uh, but here's what didn't happen when Brian and I were having lunch at Greenwood Cemetery. Nobody in the grave got up and started walking around. 
I mean, if they did, that would be a problem. Like, if they just came up like, yo, can I have some chips? Like, that would not have been a good thing. I don't know if you know, but Greenwood Cemetery is home to a half a million bodies. Half a million dead people are in Greenwood Cemetery. Not one of them got up. Uh, recently, I visited a, another tomb in Jerusalem. And when I got to that tomb, just like I thought, that tomb was empty. If, let me just connect the dots for you. If you don't know what tomb I'm talking about, I'm talking about the tomb of Jesus Christ. And as beautiful as the mausoleums were, bodies were inside of it. As beautiful as the tombstones were, bodies were six feet under. But when I stepped into the tomb of Jesus Christ, it was empty. And I remember telling you guys over and over again that if I got to Jerusalem and Jesus was chilling in the tomb, I would have never preached again. And I wholeheartedly meant that because that means that everything Jesus said did not come to pass. It wasn't true. But if, if Jesus said that he would rise again and he actually did rise, it does validate everything that Jesus Christ has said. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ really is the crowning proof of Christianity. If Jesus got up, that means Christianity is true. And so we, we do not visit a tomb that Jesus is at. We do not serve a Christ that could not conquer death, but we serve a Christ that was able to get up. Now, the debate over the resurrection is, is really a debate that has many different facets to it. But there's really the greatest proof of the resurrection really is two things that I really want to present to you, two of them. The first one, the first proof of Jesus Christ getting up is the empty tomb. Like there's no greater proof than that, that you can go to the tomb and not see Jesus' body there. No one has ever found Jesus' body. It's the greatest proof of the resurrection. The second greatest proof is the eyewitnesses. And both of those, the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses, are going to be addressed in our, in our text this morning. In Luke chapter 24, we're going to see both of those happen. Now, many people will say, well, he didn't actually get up. This is, I really heard this one. But that everybody that said they saw Jesus actually was hallucinating. The problem with that is the actual Bible itself. When you read places like 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 and 6, it says that the Lord Jesus appeared to Cephas, then he appeared to the twelve, and then it goes so far as to say he appeared to over 500 people at one time. 500 people at one time saw Jesus Christ. You'd be hard-pressed to see 500 people hallucinating at the same time. If they were, they smoking that funny stuff, but the scripture doesn't say they smoking anything. These are 500 people that saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saw Jesus Christ after he died, before he ascended, into heaven and after he rose from the dead. And so in our text this morning, Luke is really going to give us three accounts, three accounts of the resurrection. Now, I started to pick just one of those accounts. But as I was reading through Luke, I realized that 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 what Luke is doing is Luke is actually connecting all three of the stories. So today we're going to walk through three different accounts. One is the empty tomb. If you're writing notes, we'll talk about the empty tomb. The second thing we're going to talk about is a walk with a stranger. And the third thing we're going to end with is a unexpected dinner guest. Now, I told you there's 49 verses in our text this morning. And if you're familiar with our style of preaching, we typically do uh, what's known as expositional line by line preaching. But the problem today is if we do line by line preaching, I promise you we'll be here until next Easter. And so we won't do line by line preaching today. What we're going to do is allow the word of God, the story of God to preach itself. Is that okay? I'll highlight some things, but we'll let the, we'll let the text pre preach itself. But before we dig into even one verse, I must say to you, all of us in this room, if you guys can't see, if, Gabe, if we could just move that down. It, what what I, I have to put on the table for all of us in this room is that I promise you we are all at a great disadvantage in this room. And the reason that we're at a great disadvantage, and can we thank God for Mel painting this while we're worshiping? That's good right there. The reason that we are at a great disadvantage in this room is because we all know the end of the story. And the problem with knowing the end of the story is that we don't feel the tension that's in the text. We'll read the text because we know what the end of the story is. But this morning, I would never say this, but this morning I'm going to go ahead and say it. I want you to act like you are not a believer that he did not rise. 
I want you to act like you, there is no proof you do not believe. I don't care if you've trusted Jesus for years. I want you this morning to read the text as though he, you don't know that he rose. And the reason I want you to do that is because when you do it that way, you will feel the tension of the text. Put yourself in the place of these women. Put yourself in the place of the disciples. Put yourself in the place of the two men that are on the road. And let us feel the actual tension that they felt before they realized that he actually rose. Let's consider the verses together. Verse number one, pick me up there in Luke 24, verse number, verse number one. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Please underline this phrase, taking the spices that they had prepared. This is important because one of the arguments against the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the followers of Jesus stole the body of Jesus in some joint conspiracy. They think that all the followers of Jesus got together and said, let's do this thing where we're going to steal the body and say that he rose. The only problem with that is why do these women show up to the tomb with spices if there was a conspiracy that they all stole the body? Why do they show up with spices? This is what I I can promise you. They expected to see a body there. This wasn't a conspiracy. They got there to finish the embalming process. And they finally get there with spices in their hand and realize that the body is not there. They did not expect the body not to be there. They expected that Jesus Christ would be in that tomb. If you read Mark's account, Mark 16, verse 3, The scripture literally tells us that the women on their way to the tomb were saying to one another, how are we going to move the stone? So they were absolutely unclear on why they got there. The stone was rolled away and nobody was in the tomb. This is not a conspiracy. This is the women are affirming the fact that they believe that that body was in there and they get there and they do not see it. These women are baffled. These women are bewildered. These women are absolutely confused. And the reason I say that it's important for us not to know the end of the story is because imagine if you got to the tomb of one of your loved ones and nobody was there. They were confused. Further evidence of the resurrection is that God chose to use, and this should encourage every woman in the room, God chose to use as the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ as women to to carry that message. He chose women. Why do I say that's further evidence? Because that was anti-cultural. In Jewish culture, the women's voice and being a witness was not really validated. They would have believed the man, if men went to the tomb and said, hey, that body wasn't there, a man's word would have held more weight than women. So if I'm conspiring, If I'm saying, yo, let's get together and act like Jesus isn't here, let's take his body. The first thing I'm going to do is send some men to the tomb. I'm not sending women to the tomb. The reason I'm not sending women is because women coming back and saying he's not there. It's still that's skeptical. But when I send a man to, to the tomb, his voice should hold more weight. Ladies, this should encourage you this morning. The first ones that Jesus wanted to see an empty tomb was not a man. First one he wanted to see was. Women, and that should make you as a witness of Jesus Christ, as ladies, that should make you run harder to share the gospel message about Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus and you're a lady in here, be encouraged that Jesus Christ chose to show this open, empty tomb to a bunch of women. When I was living in Philadelphia, I was working at the church down in Philadelphia and I had a long day. And one day I came home, I was living in South Philly. And I finally, you know, parking down there is horrible. So I finally found a parking spot after driving around for about 45 minutes. I get out of the car and I'm, I'm so tired when I get out of the car. And as soon as I open the door to get out of the car, there's a young lady there. And she started to share the gospel with me. I must have looked particularly sinful that day. She started to share the gospel with me. And, and for a moment, I started to say, no, 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 I, I've already trusted Jesus. I'm, I'm a pastor. We're, we're all good. Please, let me find somebody else. But I wanted to have a little fun. I said, let me hear her out. Let me see how she's going to share the gospel. And she shared the gospel in such a clear way that I almost felt like I was a non-believer, giving my life to the Lord all over again. I was encouraged by a young lady that decided to share the gospel with me. And women, I need you to understand, we need you to share your faith. Women, hear me. We need you to be godly women. 
Hear me, ladies. We need you to be women of prayer. We need you to be women that are serious about your Bible. The first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ were women. And brothers, this should humble us. This should humble every one of us. This should make you realize, especially if you're a husband, that you ain't that dude. Because Jesus didn't choose to use you. The first one he chose to use was a woman. Now, I'm not saying let's reverse this in the house. I don't want y'all women to go home and be like, see, I told you. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this validates every single woman in this room. And so no man in here should beat their chest. We should reverence and honor our women. Why? Because Jesus chose to open that empty tomb and have women at the tomb. And so these women get there with spices to finish the embalming process and realize that the body is not there. Let's continue in the story. This is, this is the problem here. I get stuck at a verse. I got to keep going here. We got 49 verses. Verse number two says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me lift that up again. When they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how confused these women would have been? Imagine getting to a tomb of one, or, or a gravesite of one of your loved ones. You actually saw them. You were at the burial. You saw them put him or put her six feet under. You get there with flowers and the tomb is empty. The grave is empty. Here's what you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think that person resurrected. The first thing you would think is that somebody stole the body. Somebody moved the body to the other side of the cemetery without telling you. And that's exactly what these women would have thought. That's exactly what Mary Magdalene thought. Read John chapter 20, verse 13. That is exactly what Mary thought. Mary said, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. These women were perplexed. In fact, verse number four tells us that. Let's keep walking through the... Through the text, verse 4, while they were, here's the word, perplexed about this, behold, two men by them in dazzling apparel, this was two angels, we're gonna, the scriptures are going to affirm that later on, and they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground and the men said to them, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is risen. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember, now he's going to remind them of what Jesus said. This is what the angels are doing. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful people and be crucified. And on the third day, rise again. Verse eight. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb. They told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Talking about the disciples now. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So, so they told, so they run to the, to the, back to the apostles after they see the empty tomb, they run back to the apostles and they tell the apostles, Hey, Jesus rose Two men that were in dazzling apparel just told us that Jesus rose. In fact, our eyes have seen the tomb that he was laid in, in that tomb. It's empty. So he is not there. I would think that the response of the disciples would be straight going into worship. I would think they were Pentecostal that day. They'd be running around speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit haven't fallen yet, but they'd be trying to speak in tongues. Like I would think that this is the moment that they would worship and they would run around. They would run to the tomb and set up shop and have a worship service right at the tomb, but they do not do that. Look at what the response of the disciples is. But these words, verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This is why, fellas, I said you can't walk around and feel like you that dude. The women believed where the men were slow to believe. The men, the this was a process for the apostles. The apostles did not immediately accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The men who were the front runners for the church did not believe in the resurrection. These men were confused. These men did not believe these women. And when I read this earlier this week, I got convicted. You know why I got convicted? Because there are people in my life that I have written off as being savable because I thought that I've shared the gospel with them in such a clear way. Why haven't they believed? Scripture tells us that not even the leaders of the church believe. Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Some of, us, some of us can't win someone to the Lord 
because we're too busy trying to floss the gospel. Reality is we need to be patient with people. What if God wasn't patient with the apostles? What if he written? What if he wrote them off? No, he doesn't. Scripture tells us that they do not believe. And this is important for us. And so if you're not a believer in here, if you haven't trusted Jesus, thank you for coming. We are so happy that you're here on this Easter Sunday. But what I can tell every believer in this room is we must be patient. Not only that, but it takes God to save anyway. I don't care how eloquent you are in sharing the gospel. I don't care how charismatic you are. You can, you can share the gospel in a half-butt way and God can save more than you can share it in a real eloquent way. And people still walk up and be like, I don't believe that. And the re- reality is, that, can we be honest? Like, we, I know we, y'all got your Easter clothes on today. Let's be honest. It really does take God-given faith for someone to believe in a message of the gospel. Do you know how plumb crazy it sounds outside of Jesus Christ? Like, outside of the Holy Spirit, changing your heart, the message that we are telling, like, consider this. Act like you're not a believer. I'm really pushing y'all back from being believers today. I can feel it. <laughs> Act like you are not a believer. Consider what we're telling people. We are saying that a virgin got pregnant. We are saying that this child grew up and did miracles that were impossible to do outside of God being with him or him being God himself. We are telling people to believe that he died and that he happened to rise and he's walking around town and then he got swooped up into heaven. And one day he's coming back on a puffy cloud with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes. That's Revelation 21 swore in his mouth, fire in his eyes, and a tattoo on his thigh. We want people to believe that outside of the Holy Spirit. That sounds crazy. But, with the, but this is the gospel message. That is why Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God. That message and that message alone is able to save, and it's not able to save in some, some intellectual way. It's able to dig down deep into the heart. And so these men did not believe. And this almost sounds like a shaky way to begin a ministry that's going to take the world by storm. You are starting a ministry with apostles that do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, consider that. And this is who Jesus chose to put on the team. See, if if I'm Jesus and I'm not, but if I'm Jesus and I'm building my church, I'm starting it with the women because they believed I'm not going to start it with the men, but this is how God chooses. And that should encourage every one of you in here. God does not choose people that have it all together. God normally chooses people that do not have it together. When I was younger, I used to go to the basketball court. I told this story before. And when I used to go to the basketball court, you know, the way you get on the court is you got to call next, right? And when you call next, you typically pick your team. And when you call next and you pick your team, you have to pick the best players in order for you to stay on the court. No one picks the dude with the little shorts with the band on. Nobody picks that dude. We pick the dude that we know has skills. But what I love about God and what should encourage everybody in this room is that God doesn't pick that way. God looks at the bench and says, that's my team. Consider that he is about to run with a message, with, a, with, with building his church with people that do not believe. In our text right now, I told you to feel the tension. Consider that you're apostles and that you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these men do not believe it was not instantaneous. It was a process for the disciples. And that should encourage you. Let's consider with our text, because what we're going to see now is verse 11. The Bible says that these disciples thought this was an idle tale. They thought that it's no way this could actually be. They did not believe in the resurrection. But there's one apostle that did. You could probably guess who that one apostle is. Verse number 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why am I not surprised that Peter is the one that rises up like he doesn't wait. He doesn't say Thaddeus, come on, like we boys, like let's go to the tomb. He doesn't he doesn't call James to go to the tomb with him. He literally jumps up and runs on the way to the tomb. And the Bible says that he left away and he was marveling. Peter, the one who when he was on the Sea of Galilee, saw Jesus walking and said, Lord, if it's you bid me to come. The one when the soldiers came in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cut 
the soldier's ear off. Yes, that Peter. I'm not surprised that Peter is the one that rises up. There's a couple of reasons why I think Peter's the one rising up. First of all, he was reckless. Let's be honest with that. Peter was the one. Peter, you, everybody in this room needs a Peter in your life. Somebody that'll cut somebody ear off, cuss somebody out. Like, you need that one. Some of us got it. Anybody got that one Peter in your life? We all, if you don't have that, you need to find that Peter. Peter is that dude. He was reckless. Second reason why I think Peter is the one to run down is because, I don't know if you know this, but when you read the Gospels, out of all of the apostles or the disciples, Peter gets the most miracles done on his behalf by Jesus than any other disciple. Peter is. The third reason, and I think probably the most important reason, is because Peter just denied Jesus Christ. And so there may be a piece of guilt that he's feeling. And so Peter doesn't ask anybody else in the house, everybody disbelieving, they probably crying. Peter grabs his stuff and runs down to the tomb. Now, now what we see here is when Peter runs to the tomb, this would have been so impactful for him. You know why it would have been impactful? The same person that wrote the book of Luke, which was Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts 2, 3,000 people get added to the church because Peter decided to preach a message. And in Peter's message, he talks about the empty tomb. Verse 12 is important. We wouldn't have Acts 2 if there wasn't a verse 12 of Luke 24. Peter says in his message in Acts 2 with all these men there, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by you, a man attested by you to you by God, with mighty works and wondrous signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter was so moved in verse 12 by running to the empty tomb that by the time you get to Acts 2, Peter jumps up, preaches a message, 3,000 people get added to the church because Peter was the one that believed. He was not slow to believe. The rest of them were. Peter was like, nah, not me. And so what we see so far is the account of proof of the resurrection by the account of an empty tomb. Now, verses 13 to 35, you're going to see Luke shift into another scene, another story. Verse 13 to 35 now gives us this stranger that's walking on the road. Let's walk with that one. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Please underline this phrase. And I know I tell you that all the time. The next few words, like literally circle them and put a smiley face around them. This is like, this is going to be foundational proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Starting at the top of verse 13, that very day, two of the men were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking and they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Please underline the next phrase as well. And went with them. Why is that important? What Luke just told us was that the distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus was seven miles. But the scripture also says that Jesus drew near and he went with them, meaning that Jesus went seven miles with them. OK, let me tell you one of the dumbest theories I've heard about Jesus not resurrecting. I promise you, I've heard this one. I heard that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He actually on the cross didn't die, but actually either went to sleep or passed out. And so then they took his body off, put him in a tomb. He happened to push this stone out of the way. But consider something. Jesus was beaten for about 20 hours. He had nails driven into his hand. He had nails driven into his feet. They literally took the beard off of his face, ripped it out, punched him in his face and said, prophesy, tell us which one of us hit you. Jesus had a, had a spear pierced into his side, through his rib cage, into his lungs, to the point where blood and water started to flow out. Please tell me how in the world does that type of person, had nails in his feet, decide to be jogging on the road to Emmaus seven miles? <laughs> like, 
I stubbed my toe one time on the couch. And I promise you, I couldn't walk to the kitchen without feeling like my femur bone was in my liver. Like, you ever stub your toe? Like, you walking like your hips exploded. You're like, Jesus had nails driven into his feet. And you want me to believe that he happens to put on a jogging suit and is on the road to Emmaus? Jogging seven miles. Please help me to understand that. It, it is one of the dumbest theories I've ever heard. Jesus fell asleep on the cross. They took him down. They didn't wake him up. They put him in the tomb, and he pushes the stone away, and he meets two men on the road, and he doesn't just like talk to them and then go back to the tomb. He goes all the way to Emmaus. Do not understand that theory. That theory does, that theory does not make sense to me. Now, Jesus doesn't have painkillers. He doesn't have morphine, but he happens to be on this road with two other men. Now, watch what he does, because now he's about to play a game with them. I love this game. It's almost like the game when, when the young lady came and shared the gospel with me and act like, you know, I didn't know what she was talking about. Jesus is going to play that game with them. Watch what Jesus does in verse 16. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So he's walking and they don't know it's him. Verse 17. And they said to them, and he said to them, he's going to ask them two questions. He says, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you, were, as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Please make a note of that. They are sad. Verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, and he said this. He said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? That's his second question. And so Jesus is like, he's, all, he's playing this game like, listen, I just want to hear. And the reason he's doing that, because he wants to hear their fears. He wants to hear their hurt. First of all, it's a seven-mile walk. I'm sure Jesus is like, let me not reveal it too quick to him. So he's walking along this road, and he's playing this game like, listen, I don't know what happened. Share with me what, ha- what happened. I don't know if you guys remember when uh, the Obamas was in the White House, and Michelle Obama decided to disguise herself and go shopping at Target. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story, but she disguised herself, put on a hat and glasses, and Secret Service kind of spreads out all over the store, and she gets to Target, and she's shopping, just to feel the experience of what an ordinary person feels like. And there's an old lady in the same aisle that she's on. And old lady says, excuse me, just when she thought she was busted, the old lady's like, can you reach up there and grab me that detergent? <laughs> but what Michelle Obama was doing is exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is disguising himself just so he can hear the hurts and the fears and the disappointments. Keep going. Let's see what happens. I'm going to read a large chunk here. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of, the, some of the women of our company amazed us. And so that means that they were in the house when these women came to say, hey, he's not there. But they didn't believe. Remember, verse number 22. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find the body, of the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24. Some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman has said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, now he's about to rebuke them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them, in the scriptures, the thing concerning, things concerning himself. So we had a Bible study with these two dudes on the road to Emmaus. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him 
And he vanished. Please circle that word. That's important as well. And he vanished from their sight. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within in us while we talked on the road, while he opened the scriptures? So what you see happening is Jesus walking on this road and literally is walking them through not just scriptures, but walking them through the Old Testament. I have no time to talk about how Jesus completely fulfills not just New Testament, but even the Old Testament. Jesus has a Bible study with these two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, what's important is that, remember, I said that they were very sad. They moved from being depressed and cold-hearted to fully believing in Jesus when they recognized him. They said, did not our hearts burn within when he began to share with us the scriptures? So what you see is this seven mile, Jesus does in a seven mile walk what no therapist can do. Jesus does in a seven mile walk with no friend's counsel can do. Jesus does in a seven mile walk what you stand in the house with the covers over your head cannot do. What many of us need, if you're dealing with depression in here, if you are dealing with hardship in here, if you are cold hearted toward the things of God, what you need is more Jesus. Like notice what burnt their hearts was spending time with the Lord, spending time with the Savior as he opened to them the scriptures. The Bible says that they recognized him when he began to break the bread. Now watch what happens. Now, what, what do you think their response is? The first time I think they failed, the Bible said they didn't believe when the women came. Now, Jesus himself shows up to at least two of the disciples that are unnamed. I don't know what their response is going to be in verse 33, but my guess is they will not be hard-hearted again. Watch what happens in verse 33. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered. Please understand what happened here. I told you that the distance between Emmaus and Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Emmaus, was seven miles. The scripture just said the same hour they packed their stuff back up and walked seven more miles back. Fourteen miles these men walked, which, by the way, say, say we don't, you, you know, you either took an Uber. We, we would have gotten a car. They didn't have chairs. They didn't have, they walked to Emmaus. But the scripture tells us that as soon as they recognized Jesus, they start a trek back to Jerusalem, 14 miles. You do not walk, which is really four hours, a seven mile walk in Jerusalem because of hills. It's at least four hours, eight hours. These men walk. They walk to Emmaus. Then they walk back to Jerusalem. You do not do a 14 mile walk. You do not do this seven mile walk back to Jerusalem if you're not convinced it's Jesus. These men were convinced. They were persuaded because Jesus opened the scriptures to them. And they then saw that what Jesus did was open their hearts. Now, here's what you need to understand. These disciples now have three reports. They have the report from the women. They have the report from Peter. Remember, the scripture said in verse 12 that Peter marveled. He went home marveling. Of course, he told the disciples. So they have the women's report. Now they have the report from Peter. And now we see that these two men on the road to Emmaus go back to Jerusalem, go to the disciples. Now they get their third report. Now watch what Jesus does here. Verse 34. Saying the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. So this is what they're telling the disciples. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. Verse 37, and they were startled and they were frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. Check out what's going on in the middle of them sitting and enjoying time with one another. Really, not really enjoying. They were really in mourning. But we know they're going to eat because the rest of the verse is going to tell us that there's food there. And so they're literally having dinner Jesus just appears there. Now, this is important. Up until this point, what we've seen so far as we're walking through the text, what we've seen so far is that Jesus happened to show up on the road to Emmaus. 
we see that when the disciples recognize him, he vanished from their presence. And now we see that Jesus in the midst of dinner decides to just show up again. What I'm confused about when I see that Jesus has the ability to disappear and appear, what I'm confused about is why in verse two is the stone rolled away. If Jesus had to get out, because you know what we're taught. We're taught that Jesus, that the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out. But why does Jesus have to roll the stone away if he has the ability to disappear and appear? Why could he not disappear from the tomb and appear outside of the tomb? Jesus does not roll the stone away to get out. Jesus rolls the stone away so that we can get in. And the reason he needs us to get in is because he needs us to see the place where he laid is empty. He needs us to see. I don't know if you know in John chapter 20, he talks about after Jesus finished the work of bearing the weight of our sins. I love this. It's so dope. Jesus literally folds his clothes and puts them in the place where he was laying. Jesus doesn't ball up his clothes like we do and throw them in the closet. He folds them up after completing the work of salvation and he puts them right in the tomb. Now, John also tells us that as these men are in this room, he goes so far as to say the door was locked, meaning Jesus had to just appear. So the tomb, the stone is not rolled away in verse number two because Jesus had to roll it away to get out. He didn't need to roll it away. He rolled it away. So that men like me could get on a flight, get to Tel Aviv, take a trip into Jerusalem, peek my head in and be like, yeah, he's not here. I'm able to do that because Jesus rolled the stone away, even though Jesus did not have to do that. Now, I'm sure these men were frightened. The scripture tells us they were frightened. I'm sure Thaddeus was probably like, like, Peter, you're a wild boy. You probably put something in these drinks here. I'm I'm seeing stuff. But no, the disciples actually don't. They don't just see a spirit of Jesus. Jesus says he's flesh and blood. They see the resurrected physical body of Jesus. Let us continue with the text. Told you it preaches itself. Verse 37. And they were startled and frightened, and they thought that they saw a spirit. Verse 38. And then he said to them, now Jesus is about to say, talk to them, why are you troubled? And why why does doubt arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse number 40. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling. So Jesus doesn't just show up and say, hey, look at me. It's really me. Jesus says, look at me. Touch my hands. He probably lifted up a little skin on the side, said, go ahead, put your finger in there. You know, and Jesus probably has too much glory come out, so he tucked it back in. You know, so Jesus says, touch me. I'm really flesh and blood. This is really me. And these men were marveled. Now, how do you explain in 72 hours, these men went from disbelieving to marveling, and then eventually they're going to give their life for Jesus. How do you explain that unless it was really Jesus? Because what, here's what I know. Men may die for something that they believe is true, although it turns out to be a lie. Men do not die for stuff that they know is a lie. We don't die for stuff. We, if I know it's a lie, at some point I'm going to be like, no, nah, no, nah, I was just, I was joking. <laughs> Disciples don't do that. Eventually they move from disbelieving to marveling to giving their life for Jesus Christ. How do you explain that? You have to explain it, that they really saw Jesus Christ. Now, watch what Jesus does. This is why I love Jesus. This this is why I love him right here. Verse 41. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, by the way, disbelieving for joy doesn't mean they disbelieved. It's almost, it's equated to us saying, oh my God, I can't believe it. It doesn't mean you can't believe it. It means you believe it so much, you just got joy. And so what the scriptures are saying when it says disbelief for joy, that's exactly what it's saying. So while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. I know Jesus was like, listen, I've been in the tomb for three days. I ain't eating nothing in that tomb. I'm a little hungry. 
Y'all go pull out that red snapper, pull out that trout. Let's get busy. So they bring this food and Jesus eats. What I, I do have a question for Jesus when I get to heaven. I, I'm probably not going to have a question. I'm going to lay flat and just, I'm not going to say a word. Jesus opened that skin up and hit me. I'm like, I don't, I don't want no problem. And then, you know, he'd knock you out for 10 years. And 10 years seems like a not a long time in eternity. But I, I want to enjoy heaven. So I'm not going to say anything to him. But I do have, I do have, I'm pondering, why in the world does Jesus eat broiled fish? Like, I would have, I, I thought the strips were going to say he deep fried some fish, <laughs> had some hot sauce, you know, and some bread, some pita bread, you know, unleavened bread, nevertheless bread and some hot sauce. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, listen, bring me some broiled fish. But what he does is when he eats with them, he's giving them a picture of affirmation and communion. Because remember, they're scattered. These men are broken. They have no purpose. They don't know what the direction of the church is supposed to be. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is very clear. Read Matthew 26. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the scriptures are clear. When they started to take Jesus away, the disciples, they all fled from him. They left Jesus. And so the disciples at this point are scattered. Jesus brings them back together over a meal. So what he's doing is he's giving them communion. He's about to commission them. Over a meal, he's going to commission these men. Watch what happens in verse number 44. It says this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I'm not going to just keep your finger there because I'm going to keep reading. But it's amazing that in order to get people to believe Jesus didn't just say, hey, it's me, believe. Jesus took them to the scriptures. Not, not just this time, but remember the two men on the road to Emmaus. said, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets and then all of scripture, he interpreted the things concerning himself. Jesus chose to use the scriptures to affirm his resurrection. That's why every time you come in here, you'd be hard pressed to come in here and we're not opening these Bibles. Because what Jesus used to affirm the resurrection was the scriptures. So he didn't use just his words. Verse 45, then he opened their minds, I love this, to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, so he's quoting to them, that the Christ must suffer and the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47 is important. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Hear me. This is our duty. The Easter story, the resurrected story, does not end with Jesus having a meal, but it ends with Jesus saying, go out and proclaim forgiveness of sins. Bro, go out and proclaim. Basically, he's, this is shorthand for go out and proclaim the gospel. And so I know you're in here and you look nice today and you think, you know, Easter ends here. You probably got a nice meal prepared for after church. But the Easter story asks you to contribute. What is your contribution? Some of us haven't shared the gospel. We are now in the fourth month of this year. Some of us haven't, if we're believers, haven't shared the gospel all year long. But yet the scriptures just told us, listen, you have a part in the Easter story. The part that you play in the Easter story isn't you're not able to rise. Well, you will one day, but you're not, you're not able to mimic him like getting yourself up. What part do we play in the Easter story. And you know the part that you play? Telling your non-believing friends about Jesus Christ. Telling them that the tomb is empty. You and I have a responsibility to share the gospel. And most of us don't do it because we're like, listen, I, I don't want to be rejected. You know, I can't share the gospel because I want to maintain this friendship. And But what we're doing is loving people to hell instead of offending them with the scriptures, with the gospel to heaven. So we must share the gospel because the scriptures tell us to. And we're not doing it alone. Let's finish it up here. The last two verses. Here's how I know you're not doing it alone. Verse 48. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power literally means, I kid you not, literally means taking on the appearance. You and I that have trusted in Jesus have been empowered by the Holy Spirit that's living in you to share the gospel. So the Easter, Easter doesn't end today. Easter does not end at midnight. Easter continues. 
How does it continue? Through you sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for your sins, the ones that you could not die for, the ones that you could not pay for. Jesus goes to the cross and says, put all they sin on me. And he dies for your behalf so that you can stand before God as though you live like Jesus. 33 years of perfection. You get to stand before God as perfect. And, God, and Jesus Christ stood before God as condemned. Every head bowed and every eye closed. My hope that this morning is that you would feel a level of conviction. That this commission that Jesus Christ gives to the disciples that you yourself would walk away and feel the burden to have to share this message. I joked around and said, listen, many of us haven't shared the gospel all year, but the reality is we haven't. And today, my hope and prayer is that you in this room would feel compelled if you've trusted Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus, Please understand that he rose, not just rose, but died for your sins. You are carrying a weight that you cannot bear. And that weight is the wrath of God. So if you haven't trusted Jesus, out of all days, out of all days, today would be a good day. Today would be a good day for you to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Easter Sunday. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you haven't trusted Jesus, would you slip your hand in the air? Nothing spooky. We simply want to pray for you. If you know that if you die, you will have to pay, pay for your own sins, would you say, I want to give Jesus my life? I'll give it a few seconds. I'll give it, I'll give it some time for you to Consider Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And I pray today that you would use this message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ to move us to share the gospel with people. We, we are, we're honest, Lord. We, we haven't shared the gospel. I mean, some of us have, but some of us have not shared the gospel. We have not told people about you. We have not said your tomb is empty. And Father, today I pray that you would use this sermon in a way that impacts us really to be a recommissioning. You commissioned the men of the scriptures to go out and proclaim forgiveness of sins. Would you commission us today? Everybody in this room has that responsibility to bear. And we thank you, oh God, for an empty tomb. And we thank you, God, for the day that you will raise our dead bodies so that we can live with you forever. We pray this prayer in Christ's name. Let everybody say amen.